I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 167 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live stream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary singer, songwriter, and musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Keiko Egawa, a Japanese superfan who has been to hundreds of gigs over the past 40 plus years, seen the jam 69 times, the Star Council 60 plus, and Paul Weller solo over 150 times. You may remember Keiko from the jam documentary about the young idea. We'll hear her story from discovering the jam through In the City as a teenager growing up in Tokyo to travels to London for her first live experience of the band at the Rainbow and adventures across the UK, Europe, and back home from 1980 to now. You're going to hear on the podcast how one band and their music can change somebody's life forever. And you'll also hear some really special memories, some lovely connections with Paul Weller, his dad and manager, John Weller, over the years as well. And this is another one of those episodes that really cements that relationship between fan and family. And by family, I mean the whole Weller setup. The Jam, the Star Council, Paul Weller solo, incredible connections. You're going to love this one. Let's get into it. Keiko, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Ah, this is going to be a real joy to hear your story, journey into these memories of the Jam, the Star Council, Paul Weller solo. Let's set the scene for everybody. Your discovery of the Jam would have been Mm -hmm. back home when you were growing up in Japan, right? Yeah. 1977, I think it was. And where in Japan were you from? Where were you growing up? I'm, I'm from Tokyo. And in the late 70s, what was that like compared to England? I mean, you know the England through the jam lyrics. Was it a similar state of affairs? Not really, not quite. At the time, New Wave was in Japan, but not many people liked it. You know, very few people got into it. 
and I was one of them. Because you think of Japan now, and it, it feels futuristic and forward-facing, and mm. you know, amazing technology and all that mm. kind of stuff. But presumably back then, it wasn't mm. like that. No, because I remember when the jam first came, well, went over to Japan, first gig in 1980. It was all seated. Everybody was politely sitting down, whole gig. Me and my friend was the only one who was standing up (laughs) (laughs) and shouting. But it's all changed now. Japan changed quite quickly, you know, when it comes to music and gigs. And become more westernized, I would guess, right? But that wasn't when you were growing up. Forget the jam for a second. But when you were growing up and at school, it wasn't that way at all. No, not many people were into, I would say, foreign music, you know, like rock music. I was just the old one. (laughs) <laughs> so how did you discover it? Because Facebook, social media wasn't a thing. How did you no. find out about it? I mean, I started watching the Partridge family <laughs> when I was about 10. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then I got into them. And then I used to buy, I used to go to the um, imported magazine shop, well, bookshop, and I used to get magazines from America. And then I knew about Jackson 5. And then I really, really got into Jackson 5. And I thought it was my kind of music. My very first concert was Jackson 5. Oh, wow. Amazing. Was, oh my God. Brilliant. It was at Budokan, you know, Budokan. I think I was about 12. But I went on my own and not many people would do that. The lady sat next to me was about, well, over 20. She started worrying about me. <laughs> and she basically, she looked after me, but I was in the fifth row and I saw Michael really well. And I thought, wow, you know, amazing, amazing concert. And this was the period of them being the Jackson 5 rather than the Jacksons. So this was him as a young kid, right? Yeah, Jackson 5. Michael was about 13, 14. (laughs) Oh, my God. Maybe we could spend an hour talking about that. I love Jacko. That's brilliant. (laughs) So that wasn't the norm, though, in terms of that consumption amongst your friends of of that American music, was it? No, no, it wasn't normal at all. (laughs) I wasn't normal anyway. And... um, (laughs) I didn't have a happy childhood, to be honest with you, but music helped me going through all this horrible stuff and that. Music meant a hell of a lot to me. And then um, after listening to Jackson 5, obviously I started to discover Tamla Motown and stuff like that. And then there was New Wave came. And then I started listening to Pistols, The Damned and all sorts. That's quite a way. I mean, the jam had those connections to Tamla Motown, but yeah. the dams and the pistols is a world apart from no, that no. music, right? Yeah, but I used to love the passion, you know, their energy in the music, and I used to love it. I know um, musically it wasn't great, but... <laughs> but that wasn't being played on the radio then, was it? Um, no, I don't think so. I I used to go to the town called Shibuya. There's quite few imported record shop there, and I used to buy seven inches there. And then I discover, I think it was in the city. I bought it because I saw the um, I saw the record. I thought, wow, they look different. And then I was really interested in it. And then I started listening to the jam, and I, oh, it was amazing. I loved it straight away. Isn't that brilliant? The idea that, cause it is an escapism for so many of us, isn't it? You know, mm. we're, when we're listening to music, yes, you often do it as a collective, maybe, and you take yeah. records to your mates and like, but ultimately it's often a one on one 
experience, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. you're taking it back to your bedroom and playing these seven inch singles. Mm, mm. And then they used to do like, they used to call it film concert, basically in a small cinema. They were showing all the promo videos and I saw art school there. I went with my friend. Oh, I thought, oh, wow, they're different. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. I didn't realize that. that they're playing out the little music promos. Yeah. Yeah. Some musician did the gigs in Japan then, but it was all sorts of sort of rock music, I would say, you know, big names. So like Led Zeppelin, those types of yeah, things, right? Yeah. I love the fact that this discovery is through that piece of vinyl as well. Oh. Uh, you don't know what you're buying, really, do you? You're just like, I like the cover. I'm going to yeah, get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just coincidence. I just picked it up and bought it. Now, to that say was... that this turns into a proper love affair with the jam and mm. Weller and the band is putting it lightly because you end up seeing them live like 70, over 70 times. Is that right? Well, no, just under 70 times, 69 times. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just around. <laughs> yeah, but oh, I must say it was in a period of two years. So, I mean, I know some other people seen them like over 200 times. But the fact that you were obviously for a period, you were, you were still in Japan and we'll talk about what brings you over to the UK in a sec, but you yeah. were a little disadvantaged though, because they didn't come to Tokyo That's until right. like, what, 1980, right? So, yeah. 80 was the first time. Yeah. Okay. So in the city, you're hooked, you're into this mm. band, you, mm. you know, you're seeing the videos in art school. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that wasn't even released as a single, was it? The little promo video was a, a kind of tag on, but no, no. With Nicky Weller and, and Tufty doing the painting at the That's side. That's right. <laughs> Brilliant. And then we're starting to get into, you know, this is the modern world, all oh. mod cons. You're just yeah. consuming the music. You're seeing the videos when you can. Mm. But talk to me about how you first came to the UK then, how you first came to well, the UK. Well, I used to buy this music magazine in Japan called Ongaku Senka. Ongaku means music. Senka means speciality. I arranged this rock tour, they called it, 10 days in London and then meeting up with some musicians. And they arranged that. So I said to my parents, oh, I would love to go to this one. And then they said, okay, all right, you go. Came over here first time for 10 days. I think it was 1978. And how old yeah. are you at that point? 18. And who was on the tour? Can you remember? They arranged this meeting up party. People like Billy Idol, Steve Strange, Mitchuro. Who else is there? I can't remember now. That sort of people came along. And then... Obviously, I went to um, see some gigs in the marquee venue, places like that. And I saw the poster of the jam playing at Rainbow. And then I thought, oh, my God, I missed that. And then that's how I really wanted to see the jam. So I went back to Tokyo and then I said to my parents, like, I, I really I would love to study English in England because in Japan um, there's lots of English schools, but they teach American English more than British English. So I said, <laughs> I explained to my parents, it's, it's no good. I don't want to learn American English. I want to learn British English. And they said, <laughs> okay, only for three months. So I said, yeah, three months is fine. So that's including the jam at Rainbow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the learning of British English, yeah. English English, I mean, that's fueled by Weller's lyrics and fueled by the jam yeah. as much as it is the yeah. desire to learn, right? Yeah, because I couldn't understand the lyrics. I was dying to know what they're singing about. And then there was a translation in Japanese records, but they were all wrong, you know. 
lot of them. I just wanted to know. I just wanted to understand what they're singing about. And the thing about Paul's lyrics are, particularly the jam time, you know, he's painting these wonderful, colourful pictures down in the tube station at midnight. Yeah. It's such a visual song. Yeah. The translation must have been completely different yeah. for you. And like, <laughs> well, yeah. What's a takeaway curry and all that business? You know? I know, I know. And Woolworth and, you know, bingo accent. <laughs> I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand at the time. And <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you're coming over here for three months. You've been yeah. given this window. It, it coincides with the jam playing at yeah. the Rainbow Theatre, right? Yeah, that was the first time I saw the jam. So that um, would have been, what, the beginning of December 1979, something like that? Y- yeah, that's right, December 1979. Okay, so take yeah. me there Take me there to that first jam gig. What can you remember? Oh, my God. I mean, I've been to so many gigs before that, but it was just amazing. I just felt something special. I just felt something from the band straight to my soul. And it was so different. And I just got hooked on them straight away. And for you, like so many have been on the podcast, this wasn't just about Paul Weller, right? No. Paul means hell of a lot to me after all these years. But at the time, the jam was just perfect. And I just wanted to see them more and more and more. Can you remember where you stood? How far back were you from the front of that one? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. I wasn't down the front, middle bit. I guess I really can't remember now. So you've been experiencing the songs, the music, the the singles, the seven inches, the albums. Yeah. Suddenly in a live experience. Yeah. I always loved live music. Always loved it. But this one was so special and I just couldn't stand the thought of going back to Japan and waiting for a year to be able to see them again. Yeah, because at that point, the jam hadn't visited Japan. Had, had not they? yet, not yet. Just a few, uh, I think seven, eight months before the first Japan tour. Would have been July 1980. So you had to go back home after three months, did you? Or No, I extended the visa. <laughs> Well, your parents are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my parents, I was so lucky. My parents are so understanding, you know, especially I'm learning something, English, and they were quite happy what I was doing at the time. I'm so lucky. But in 1980, they announced the Japan tour. I said to my parents, I'm coming, see you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how lovely. We've not seen you for ages. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also going to see the jam. Yeah. (laughs) So had you seen them loads in the UK before you went back home to Tokyo? Because they were touring all the time, weren't they? Had you seen them after the Rainbow gig before and before you went back to Tokyo? Had you seen them in in that period as well, like the beginning of 1980? I think so, yeah. I think so. Yeah, quite a few times, I think. And you're following them around the country then as part of that. Mm. So you're living in London, but you're mm. traveling around with, yeah. and presumably like making lots of mates, lots of friends, lots of other jam friends at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I got my first job in London in 1980. I used to work in um Japanese food shop. I was working from 10 to 7, and then they had this margin club. Do you know margin? No. It's, oh, the game. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's the most game. complicated game I've ever seen in my entire life. But yeah, yeah go on. <laughs> but they had the margin club downstairs and I was working from 7 to 2 a.m. And I remember my first wages was pound five an hour. So basically I was working 16 hours a day, six days a week, just trying to save money 
to be able to go to the jam tour. <laughs> I didn't have any social life at all. You know, I was working, working, working. I had a breakfast, lunch and dinner at work. But I didn't mind. I used to love it. You know, just making money to go and see the jam. And we'll get into the fact that this story evolves and the fact that actually at times, mm. you're not having to pay for tickets later on. So the, how you get into the world is really interesting. And John Well, and we'll talk all about that in a second. But let's yeah. take us back then to Tokyo. So you go back to see your folks. <laughs> <laughs> actually, the jam's first tour of Japan. So this would have been the summer of 1980. And at that point then, you know, for them to go to Japan, there must have mm. then been an audience. This wasn't just because you've left. So the, in 77, that single jam fan, which was you, is gone. So they, yeah. they've obviously built up a following at the, by the time yeah. you head back, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. They I, they played in this some plaza hall, which was capacity was about two thousand. And what was it that connected then with the Japanese crowd, the audience as a, as a whole? Why was that? Because that music obviously connected with a lot of young people at that point. A few years mm. later, after you, you you first discovered them, right? Yeah, but a lot of people started to like in Western music, including new wave stuff. It wasn't really that popular at the time, but there was quite a few people. I suppose Tokyo it. is a massive place, so you, yeah. can't, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a small percentage of the people that live there. You, but you've got enough mm. to fill a two thousand right. arena or whatever. Yeah. Right? And at that point, these gigs were people sat down watching. Yeah. Not mosh pit approach, right? Like it was back home. I know. Uh, Very polite and quiet. <laughs> Just cup in hands afterwards. I remember Paul was saying on stage. Next one is all about yen, he said. But, <laughs> but it was pretty green. Oh, brilliant. Right? But nobody understood it. So it went so quiet. <laughs> at this point, had you met the jam at all? Yeah, I wanted to get autograph on an Old Mott Cons album. I think it was Old Mott Cons. Is it out 1980 already? Yeah, it would have been out yeah. in yeah, 78. So yeah. Yeah. So um, was it 78? No. Yeah, it was. It was the third was album, it? wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, right. Anyway, I, I, um, went to the hotel. That's what we do in Japan, you know, if you want autograph. And it was quite famous. Everybody, well, most people know where they're staying. And I met Paul for the very first time. And he was with his girlfriend at the time, Jill. And then I got autographs. And then after sort of 10 minutes, Jill came over to me and say, cause I couldn't speak English that well at the time. And she said to me, Paul wants to chat with you. So I didn't, I didn't understand chat meant. So I said, what? And then she said, talk. So I said, oh yeah. And she said, cup of tea. So I said, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to the um, tea room in the hotel and me and my friend and Paul and Jill sat down and it was quite funny actually because I was wearing punk clothing at the time and Paul said to me, where did you get that? So I said, um, in Shibuya, there's a one punk clothing shop in Shibuya. And he said, yeah. And also in London as well, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he said to me, how do you say excuse me in Japanese? So I told him, sumimasen, right? And he went, sumimasen, 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 so many times. And then waiter came along and he said, excuse me. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was very lucky to be able to have a cup of tea with him. That's brilliant. Yeah. After that, you go back to London again, right? So we've yeah. done the visit, but obviously the jam don't play there enough for you to stick around like they do, no. like they no. do in London. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk Brighton. This would have been November 1980. And 
the first proper connection, really, I think, with John Weller, right? Yeah, yeah, because um, I was on my own and I got myself a bed and breakfast. I still remember it was £10 a night. I went to the gig and after the gig, John Weller came to me and said, oh, come and say hello to Paul. So I said, oh, is that okay? <laughs> and then we went back to the hotel and then John Weller came over to me and said, where are you staying? And so I said, bed and breakfast, about five minutes away from here. He said to me, oh, no, you stay here tonight. So I said, what do you mean? He said, because Rick's gone home. So Rick's room is empty. So you might as well stay here. So I said, yeah, but I already paid for the bed and breakfast. I've got all my luggage there. And John said to me, no, don't worry about it. I'll get a man to come along with you and carry in all your bags and come back. And it was one of the road crews. I think it was Bob. So he went over to my bed and breakfast, took everything, and then left a note saying, like, I'm not staying here. <laughs> and then Bob carried everything for me and then went back to the hotel and then went into Rick's room. And as soon as we stepped into the room, the phone rang in the room. And then Bob picked it up and I could hear John say, what are you doing here? <laughs> so you come down straight away. I said, oh, thanks very much. And anyway, I went back to the bar and I said to John, oh, no, he was really kind, you know, carrying all my stuff and everything. I guess, good. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, I was already like 20, but I must have looked about 12 or 15 or something. And John was always looked after me, you know, making sure everything is all right. And he used to say to me, you pay for the hotel and travel. So I give you a pass. So I thought, oh, that's really nice of him. Yeah, it helped. Well, yeah, because you're you're working all the hours to go to yeah. all these all these gigs. So then you're getting like access to all areas or or yeah. entry passes, right? VIP mm. passes. Mm. <laughs> Man, and this is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, John used to let me get on their coach from places to places, and I, like from the venue to the hotel. And now at the time I was really, really shy and then I wasn't confident about my English. So I was really sort of sitting down, say nothing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I said recent years, like I think it was about ten years ago, I said to Paul, Do you know when I used to meet you, the jam days, and I never talked, did I? I said, because I couldn't understand English, I couldn't speak English very well. And Paul said to me, we don't speak English anyway. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I love the, I mean, this is brilliant. So the hotel in Brighton was the grand as well, right? I should have yeah. mentioned that. So this oh, is- it was massive. I mean, bathroom was so huge. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> How lovely that. People have talked about the fact that John was always mm. looking out for the fans and yeah. making sure that you were safe as well. Yeah. Because, you know, you're, these young people are traveling all over the country to see the yeah. bands and stuff. And these are not, I mean, I don't know if they're particularly safe times these days, but, but back mm. then these were not safe times to be doing that type mm. of thing, right? Mm. It's like in 1980, I went to Leicester on my own, Leicester gig. And after the gig, um, they invited me four drinks, which I did. And Paul said to me, are you staying here tonight? So I said, no, I'm not. I'm going back to London. And what time is your train? Two o'clock in the morning. And he said to me, I don't like the sound of that. And I know somebody who's going back to London on that train. So go with him. And that's how I met Joe. And he was the fan as well. And um, I still get in touch with him. 
I went to Amsterdam gig of Paul Weller this year with him. Yeah, that was amazing. You know people through Paul? Yeah, these connections of people who have you know, now got you know friendships over, what are we talking like, over 45 years, right, yeah. for some people? Yeah, I used to go to gigs like with few people. I mean, I used to have about four or five friends from Japan, not at the same time, but one of them came over to do the jam tour with me. And then there was a guy called Mark and Paul used to travel with us at the time, you know, become friends. And then in recent years, like a couple of years ago, Mark told me that, you know what? John Wera said to us, look after those Japanese girls. And then that, oh, I thought, that's really nice. The jam go back to Japan, 1981, mm. four dates. Yeah. The third and final time they go back is June 1982. But did you see them back home in Japan again? Yeah. Or were you? Yes, you went back each time. <laughs> yeah. To see my parents, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, old, that old chestnut. <laughs> so every time they went back to Japan, I love yeah. that. You're going home to tie which is nice. You're tying in yeah. with the yeah. day of the family as well. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can obviously see that evolution, how the band is getting bigger and bigger, mm. both in the UK and, and presumably back home, the venues are growing. Um, yeah. These are not small venues now, right? And they're, mm. they're having, you know, number one album, number one singles, all that kind yeah. of stuff as well. Yeah. I was really happy about that. It's funny because some fans are a bit like, mm. oh, this this is my little thing. And then suddenly it became almost mainstream and really popular. Mm. But for you, you loved seeing the fact that it was growing and getting bigger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what about the music at that time? So we're getting songs like mm. That's Entertainment, we're getting Going Underground and things mm. like that. What what stands out for you song-wise at that period? I liked everything, really. Basically, like, I on a documentary, I said, When You're Young, but that's one of them. Okay. And going Underground and Down in a Tube Station. I also loved English Rose. I loved it so much. I used to think, why aren't I English? <laughs> <laughs> and are you getting to the point where through your education you're getting then to understand the lyrics more? Mm. That, that, that sole purpose of coming almost is working yeah. oh yeah 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 definitely I mean lyrics were so important I mean I said to Paul one time I said what do you think about all these Japanese fans a lot of them don't understand your lyrics and he said to me it's just the music you know they don't have to understand lyrics I mean it's better if you understand lyrics but Music is so important. Yeah, it's interesting because um, Suad Massey's been on the podcast who has recorded with Paul and most of mm. her songs are sung in French or Arabic and you don't understand the words necessarily. Mm. It's, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's that connection with something yeah. that you, you still understand the heart and soul of the song, mm. right? I want to talk to you about the Gifts tour and, or the Gifts album rather and then the tour. The jam style and the band setup starts changing a little where we get, you know, keys and we get, you know, a bit of Mickey Talbot's involved at one point yeah. for a little bit. We get a horn section with Steve mm. Nichol and Keith Thomas on the stage. What were your thoughts about the expansion of the three of them to include other musicians? I just loved it straight away. I'm so lucky because some fans didn't understand it. I mean, for example, from the Jam to Star Council, some fans said uh, they used to hate it, but I loved it straight away. I know it's a totally different kind of music, but I was lucky again. You know, I loved it straight away. Let's talk about the split. So we mm. have to talk about the fact that obviously the jam came to an end. Where were you when you heard about the split? Well, I was actually in Japan at the time because my passport was just running out. So I had to renew the new one. And then I was at my parents' house and then Paul sent me a letter 
he didn't talk about Split at the time, but he said, this is going to be the Jam's last single. I thought, oh, wow, what's he talking about? And then I got myself NME and then I saw the Split. I was crying for three days, Dan. <laughs> I was crying, crying, and then I thought, I must get a passport. <laughs> Then at the time, I was feeling so, oh, I felt lost, you know. And, but anyway, oh, I must go back to the last tour, which I did, obviously. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I've got two kids, right? And you know, yeah, nine, nine year old and a six year old. And I can, only, yeah, you just want to be protective of them as yeah. parents. So, I mean, your parents can do nothing about this. Your favorite band, the people mm. that you idolize, you know, it's just come to an end. It's exploding. Yeah. Albeit, albeit they're still, at least they're going to do some final dates. But what were they, how did they react and kind of console you? My dad was very, very open minded person for a Japanese man, which I felt lucky. My mum was also understanding as well. And they both said, well, do whatever you want to do. It doesn't have to be in Japan kind of attitude. So I was very lucky. What did you do? Like lock yourself in your bedroom? Did you go out and get hammered? What was your reaction? I already had pierced ears, right, two of them. Then I, I got another one by myself. I just wanted to feel the pain. Oh, no. I can't, I can't oh, explain this. Oh, but... mate. <laughs> You're killing me here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? You know, I just wanted to feel the pain, to get on with another pain, I suppose. Oh. You had this friendship group back home who loved the jam as well. So yeah. are you consoling each other or, or are you feeling it more deeply than them? What was that like? I think, I think it was Akiko who's still living in London, actually. She started to live in London like 10 years after me or something. We lost in touch for about over 20 years, but we reunited in 2019. So I think Akiko wanted to go to the final tour with me, which we did. Isn't that great? I mean, it's great that you get that opportunity to, to say goodbye to the band you love in a way, because that doesn't always oh, yeah. happen, right? You know, a band, mm. usually there are disagreements, there's a press release, that's it, done. But yeah. the fact that there was this final gig coming. So yeah. how much of that final tour did you do then? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> well, true. I mean, you know, if Paul said now he was calling it a day, I think you're right. I think I'd just have to do the lot. So fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I mean, especially for Akiko, she lived in Japan at the time. She bought this cheap railway ticket. It was British Railway at the time that you can only buy when you live abroad. So right. it's really cheap. It's like Brit Pass. You can use as, as much as you like. So I asked her to get mine as well. <laughs> 
while she was in Japan. Yeah, we'd done all of them. Talk me through the last gig then. So back to Brighton, actually, aren't we? Yeah. Brighton Conference Centre. Talk me through your emotions on that final gig. What do you remember oh about the last God, one? Oh, my God, it was so sad. And uh, after the gig, me and Akiko was crying. And then Kenny, you know Kenny, Wheeler, he came over to us and said, Yo, come on, no time to cry. Come and have a drink with us, So, <laughs> which we did. And then I was still sort of like, you know, crying. And then in the bar, John came up to me say. What are you doing? What are you crying for? Paul's got new material now. Why don't you look forward to that? So I said, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he gave you the heads up, something new's coming. Yeah, yeah. And obviously those final gigs are massive as well, like the Wembley, mm. Brighton, huge amount of people involved. But he's yeah. John Weller's coming to you and connecting with you because mm. why do you think that was in that way? Because it wasn't that every fan wasn't invited into that inner circle in that way. Some did, but I think I was lucky because um, being Japanese, it's not many Japanese fans, especially the jam, you know, so I stood up, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose he knew you were away from home maybe as well, right? Mm, yeah, and basically, like including John, Paul and Nikki, they're all lovely, lovely people, so kind down to earth. That helped a lot. They've always been kind to me and even Kenny. I mean, a lot of people moan about Kenny, but I love the man. He's lovely. I guess you felt part of the family, right? Yeah, I did, in a way. Let's sort the Star Council. So mm. immediately, you're not one of those fans who you've shut yourself off from the world. The jam was mm. it, nothing more. You embraced the Star Council, yeah? Mm. Yeah, I loved it straight away. Speak Like a Child, also the album and mix keyboard. Oh, it was great. At the time, I started to listen to jazz a lot as well. So it was a bit of influence of jazz in the music, which I liked. Yeah, I loved it. Were you travelling around as much as see the, the band? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many times you see the Style Cancers, I reckon? In fact, I lost the record of it. I think it was about 60 times. Wow, goodness me. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and again, all over the country, are you, because again, mm. they play Tokyo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you get these, these more trips back home to see the folks? Yeah. Every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? You know, flight is expensive. You might as well do that. At the same time, meeting my parents and go to the geeks. Time with a tour. Did you go anywhere mm. else abroad to see them? I know in more recent years you, you have done, but in terms of the yeah. Style Council. Uh, style Council, I went to Germany and Belgium. That's it, I think. I mean, so many people I knew. But Style Council, you know, um, Joanne and Dave, you've done a podcast. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. We used to travel together on the train and, oh, they're so nice, nice people. And Kevin and Billy, oh, that was back in the jam days, actually. But 2019 was a very strange year to me because I reunited to those, the ones I used to know, the jam days or the Star Council days through Facebook. I found them through Facebook. And um, I went to see Paul Willer in Edinburgh, arranged to meet Kevin because he lives in Edinburgh. And after 37 years, I met him. 
you know, things like that. It's really nice. It is wonderful. It's this community that was created mm. through through your youth and through trekking around the country yeah. to see these bands that you love and the, yeah. these friendships. Even all those years later, you can meet up and you still got yeah. those connections that yeah. you can talk about. That's exactly, isn't yeah. Isn't that lovely? And, and obviously a very different kettle of fish in terms of live performance, that band from the mm. jam. Couldn't, I mean, mm. kind of worlds apart, really, in terms of um, the sounds and the image and all that kind of stuff. What was it that you liked about it? Aside from the music, what were the... What the things that stood out for you i love the brass also the you know sound of um keyboard obviously i just love music you know from slow things like the paris march and also head start for happiness and i just love it's because the jam was everything to me you know, meant absolutely everything to me. I was sort of really uptight about going see them and I used to feel I must go and see them. But the style council, I felt more relaxed. I think it's a lot to do with music as well. You know, made me relax, start dancing at the gig and stuff like that. I first saw the style council in Brockwell Park. It was CND March. I remember that one, 83, yeah. Yeah. And were you one of those people who signed up for all those courses that Paul was, was yeah, of course talking I did. about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing, but I would have absolutely have done it yeah. as well, right? I'd have been you. So it's fine. Yeah. I'm not judging because that would have been me. So what were you? So CND mm. as well. <laughs> mm. I used to think about it a lot because it, obviously I'm from Japan, Hiroshima and Nagasaki's problem. Yeah, of course. So I used to think, oh, CND, yes, definitely. And all the other things. I, I, I couldn't quite understand about minors and so on, but I still went. <laughs> yeah. Were you at the final gig for the Style Council? Were you at the, cause he'd just done Japan just before it, right? So the, yeah. the how, the, did you go, did you go back home for that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was at alcohol. Yeah, so we, yeah, so it's just, I think there was, yeah, there were a few gigs in Japan, weren't there? This is the yeah. kind of, like the house period, and then they roll out at all. So I watched a video of the, the Japan gig at that time, which is, mm. is available on YouTube. Mm. And, it, and apart from the dodgy clothing, like the, <laughs> the shorts and all that, it's a really good gig. It's a really good gig. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, in the summer, wasn't it? And you had like yeah. Dr. Robert, you had Omar, all that, right? Mm, mm. So what are your memories yeah. of the Royal Albert Hall gig, that final Style Council gig then? Although you wouldn't have known it at the time that it would be the final one. To be honest with you, I can't remember much about it, actually. I don't know why. You know, I lose memories now and again. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. I wasn't really that into the end of Style Council, to be honest with you. I started to go into the gigs of jazz band a lot. I've kind of been away from music scene, actually. I wasn't going to any gigs one time for quite a few years. So I miss all that Paul's solo first few years. When was it you reconnected with Paul's music? I think it was 1997. He went to Japan again. So did I. <laughs> so, that, so that would have been Heavy Soul period, right? Yeah, that's right. Heavy Soul tour. I met Paul again and John Weller was there and he was telling me that he had a heart bypass. Paul was telling me that he split up with D. So that was like after quite 
few years meeting them and seeing their gigs. I bet they were delighted to see you, weren't they, after that period of time? I don't know. (laughs) So again... Did John show you his scar? I think that was a habit of his at the time. He was quite proud of that, I think. (laughs) Oh, no, he didn't. He didn't show me the scar, but he was saying like, oh, gosh, I I think he said, I'm not doing a tour anymore, he said. So I said, oh, why? He said, oh, I'm getting a bit old and I want to spend more time with my missus. So I said, oh, that's lovely. And then... Paul was like, came over to John and said, are you all right, dad? And then when he went, John said, that's my son. You know, how nice he is. So I said, I know. And you? (laughs) (laughs) Paul's solo career now is over 30 years. That rediscovery for you from the heavy soul right through to now, because I go to gigs, I see you at gigs. You've definitely reconnected with him and his music since those heavy soul days, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I try to go as much as I can, but, you know, these days, because I'm I'm partly disabled and it's not easy to go to gigs well mind you i go to stone foundation a lot yeah i've seen you at those gigs as well so well i should ask you so the time of recording paul's literally just announced six gigs Mm. japan 2024 yeah i know i was i've been so busy this morning and trying to sort my friend's ticket you know for (laughs) my english friends uh going to japan are you going for that one are you going to go back i would love to i'm not sure yet but i think i probably will He's never playing in Sapporo, places, you know, different places, and Sendai. Well, he has played in Sendai many years ago. But normally he goes to Japan these days. He just does it in Tokyo and Osaka. But this time, quite a lot. Six gigs there are. And at the time Ooh. of recording, six gigs announced. There might be more coming. You never know. Yeah. Um, and then obviously they're then on to Australia after that. There's fingers yeah. crossed on more announcements shortly. But the Star Council crew, when they were on, they were talking about Japan and mm. how it was. And I guess this is true of Paul Weller Solo because I remember watching the documentary. Now it's like there are like levels of hysteria. It's almost like Beatlemania for, for Paul back in in Japan these days, isn't it? It's like the, there's a real <laughs> love. It's huge, isn't it? There's a real love, yeah. like screaming girls, all sorts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people can understand English these days. It's amazing. I mean, some fans just singing along. They know all the lyrics and, oh, it's amazing. It's, it's good to see. I've noticed a difference in um, late jam gig in Japan. So Fast 2 was really quiet gigs. But then the last one was quite get into sort of more English style gig. And then what's it like nowadays with the, with the solo stuff out there? Oh, they go wild. It's all standing venues these days. Go mental down the front. I just remember, it's not about solo, but the Star Council, Paul invited me to go to the studio, which I did. I took my Japanese friend at the time, Yasko, and then went to the studio. They were recording Money Go Around. It was last stage of recording, I think. It was just Paul was doing the vocals. And then after a while, Paul said to me, will you do me a favour? I thought he was going to say, go home. <laughs> we <laughs> sod off. <laughs> yeah. He said to me, oh, will you make us cup teas? So I said, yeah, of course. And then he showed me to the kitchen. And then me and my friend made cup teas, like five or six, seven teas. And then went back to the studio. I was carrying it. Oh, it was quite heavy. A big try, and my friend opened the door for me. Both of us didn't realize it was red light. 
above the door and we went in and then the road crew was going, oh my God, what do you think you're doing? And shouting. And then Paul was just laughing, laughing, laughing. She said, I'm so sorry. And Paul said, don't worry about it. We just have to do it again. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that would yeah. have been like really early on Style Council, like the, before they'd released anything those first sessions. Yeah, 83. But in terms of gigs for the solo, what stands out for you? Mm, I mean, I've done... 150 gigs of Paul Weller solo. So I can't remember all of them. But <laughs> we don't need to go through the whole list. We we're all, we're okay. What were, <laughs> what would stand out in particular? Cause there are lots of different types of venues. You get the, you know, the big festival type gig where, you know, he's doing yeah. Hyde Park or you get the smaller oh, yeah. intimate 100 club or whatever. I'm not really into outdoor gigs, to be honest with you, but I did seven gigs in his forest tour. 2019 i really enjoyed it actually i mean i was lucky because no rain so beautiful sunshine other than that i went to see him in graz austria that was a nice venue 2006 oh i went to la as well because i was in japan at the time and my friend yasushi said fancy going to la to see paul so i said no and then I thought about it. Yeah, why not? Because I've never been to America. We went to LA together for three, three dates, I think it was. Then, funny enough, went to that gig and I saw Joanne and Dave there. <laughs> <laughs> and because it, originally there was two gigs and then after a while he added one more date and Joanne and Dave had to go back after two gigs and they were devastated. <laughs> I do prefer smaller venues, you know, I'm not, I'm not too keen on huge venues. He's done a competition gig in Coco. That was really nice because I used to go to Music Machine. It used to be called Music Machine. Uh, I used to live just around the corner from it and I used to go there every night and see the different bands because at the time I was living in a bed set. They had this coin meter thing and especially during the week, winter it was so expensive you have to put 50p don't last long so i used to spend a lot of time in music machine it's quite warm <laughs> it was cheaper to go to a game. yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i do respect paul very much as a person not just his music as a person because every time i meet him he asked me about my condition not just like how is your condition these days no he asked me all the different things. Which one have you done operation? Are you okay walking? You know, all sorts. And he's so caring. You know, not many people ask me those things because I was with my friend Joe and then I bet he was dying to ask him about music. <laughs> he spent about 20 minutes asking me about my condition. So, I mean, all of them, Nikki. And John, oh, they're all fantastic people, really kind. Before we wrap up, let me ask you about your friend Tanya. Yes, I knew Tanya and Andy, husband and wife, around 2006, I think. And then I just clicked with Tanya straight away. She was a lovely, lovely girl. She was into UB40 and Andy was into Paul Weller. And then 2017, we all went to see Stone Foundation in Shepherd's Bush. They stayed with me in a disabled platform and Andy went away to get drinks or something. And Tanya said to me, Keiko, I always want Andy to go to Japan to see Paul Wellow's gig. 
would you help me? So I said, yeah, of course I will. And then that's how we went. So they actually went over to Japan in 20, early 2018 to see Paul Weller gigs. <laughs> that was funny as again, because I was in Japan, basically looking after my mum, because she was like 90 or something. And then Andy and Tanya was messaging them. And they were at the airport, Heathrow Airport. And Tanya said, guess who I saw? So I said, no, not Paul. And she said, yes, because I was going to go and go to the airport to see Andy and Tanya. So it was, I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to do that. And then Tanya said to me, I went to speak to Paul. We were actually on the same plane. That <laughs> was really funny. And then I went to the airport. I was with my niece at the time. I was using a wheelchair at the time. I said to my niece, oh, they won't come out for another half an hour. And we were sort of chatting. And then somebody tapped on my shoulders. It was Paul. I said, oh, my God, you're quick. He said, I fancy a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a VIP exit. <laughs> yeah. So I said, where's Andy and Tanya? And Paul said, oh, they're coming in a minute. <laughs> Isn't this brilliant, though? Because it's, it just shows you how, and Paul would be the first to say that he doesn't see himself as a celebrity mm. and doesn't think he's in showbiz and all those mm. kind of trappings, I guess. Mm. And this is just a guy who feels like he's just a normal guy and he's connected yeah. with normal people, That's right? That's right. That's not the norm in the music industry from what I, I know. can work out, right? Yeah. And also went to the gig in Tokyo with Andy and Tanya. And Nikki arranged it all for us. I mean, at the time, Tanya had terminal cancer. Met Paul after the gig on the first night. Away from Andy and Tanya, I said to Paul, so would you do me a favour? Can you dedicate one song for Tanya? Would you do that? And he said, yeah, of course I can. Which one do you want? So I said, English Rose, please. He said, yeah. And so I said, could you mention Tanya's name on stage, please? And he said, yeah, of course I will. Then the gigs. Well, second night in Tokyo. And then he's done English Rose and nothing mentioned. I was just ready to record English Rose after the song. He said something, hopefully. And then he went on to do Wildwood, a couple of more songs. And then, then he said, oh, by the way, that was for Tanya. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> he must have forgot after English Rose. But, but nobody was recording. Oh, no. So, I know. So Where are the bootleggers when you need them? <laughs> so I said to Tanya, oh, my God, oh, I wasn't recording, Tanya. And she goes, it's all right. It's in my mind. Oh, oh <laughs> bless him. sadly, she passed away in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I know Andy, mm. and Andy listens to the podcast, and he'll he'll appreciate us mentioning Tanya. I know that. Oh uh, yeah, and he's a lovely fella. And oh yeah, um, thank you for sharing that. Right, I've got two final questions for you before you mm. go. So mm. you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the Jam, the Star Council, and the Solo. What mm. would you go with? Time passes. Oh, oh, why that one? Do you like it? I love it. Love it. Yeah. You bring it to you. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> It's, it's been a long week. I'm getting a bit, I'm in a new job. I'm getting a bit emotional. I don't know, but yeah, you're, yeah. you're pushing me over the edge here, Kate. <laughs> I, I find it difficult to choose one song, obviously, but this one meant a lot to me. Since 2006, I meet Paul in Tokyo. He says to me, I don't normally do requests. What do you want to hear? So I said, first time, 2006, I said, that's entertainment because I had to choose the one that he's 
been playing recently. The second time, it was 2009, I asked my favourite, time passes, could you do that? And he did. Wow, and he wasn't playing that at that time. No. So was he? He added that in no. for you? He did it piano only. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. That song, I don't know why. I mean, I guess because time passes, it was thinking about yeah. it. The older I get, the more and more that song connects oh, yeah. with me, yeah? Yeah, it's, it makes me cry sometimes listening to it. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful song. Yeah. All right. Mm. Well, look, final question. So the purpose of this podcast we created nearly three years ago now was to hear experiences from fans like yourself, super fans like yourself, traveling all over the world, seeing the jam, the style council and solo. It's been an absolute joy hearing your stories. But the real purpose, the real reason I created this podcast, as lovely as it is to hear these stories, yeah. is for, for me to get the interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. It's my one big regret from yeah. giving up life as a radio presenter that I never got to interview Paul. So if it happens, uh, what should I ask him? Difficult one. Very difficult one. Maybe because I'm from Japan, I know that early of his solo career, I think Japanese record company took his yeah, you're yeah. right, because he couldn't get a deal in this country. No. It, was the Jap- it was the Japanese record label that, yeah. that, that financed that first LP. That's yeah. right. I want to know more about it, really, how it happened. That connection with the Japanese mm. people was yeah. so important, because he was kicking around for a deal and couldn't yeah. get one, right? And also, I'm so pleased, you know, his daughter, Leah, his husband is Japanese. <laughs> yes. Leah, I first met Leah when she was 14. Oh, she's such a lovely girl. Such a talent as well, right? Mm. Keiko, honestly, this has been such a joy to hear your stories. And I oh, mean, I don't know. As mad as they are. Yeah. <laughs> as mad as they are. I've loved it. It's been brilliant. So, so thank oh. you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I can't believe it. you can't do it with Paul. <laughs> well, I need to get you to give him a ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll do that. Oh, you reckon it will happen, eh? Yeah, of course. That would be great. Well, there you go. My thanks once again to Keiko Egoa for joining me on the podcast. Super fan stories from Tokyo to London and beyond. Do go online to my website. You can find show notes for this episode of the podcast with loads of amazing images shared by Keiko for you to check out. Just head to paulwellerfanpodcast.com. Whilst you're there, head into my store. You can find your official podcast merchandise. The weather's on the turn, isn't it? It's getting a bit chillier. What you need is the official podcast sweatshirt. Yes, order yours right now in the store. Get yourself your mug for your nice warm cup of tea, cocoa or coffee. All welcome. Just head to the store, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. Whilst you're there, if you fancy it, you can get yourself a virtual coffee as well. Just three quid or sign up for a regular subscription. It's always appreciated. My thanks go to Phil Baker one of our monthly subscribers. Hello to Alex McLaughlin. Thank you to you, sir. Much appreciated. Alex says, I can't believe the podcast is over 160 deep or that the quality is still so high. More power to you, Dan. Thank you, Alex. Much appreciated. Hello to Georgia Moroso. Thanks to you for your virtual coffee. Hello to Grant, another subscriber. Hello, Steve Perry. Duncan. Hello, Ian. Hi, Sean Wilson. Thank you to you for your virtual coffees. Hello to Rich Gill. Thank you, sir. Hi, John Reed. Hello to Peter E. Martin Bonhom, thanks to you for your support. Hello, Mike C. Hi to Simon Cartilage, Martin Glover. Really do appreciate it. Thanks so much to all of you. If you want to get involved, paulwellerfanpodcast.com is my website. You can spread the word on social media. Share this episode on Facebook, Instagram, X and Threads. 
and get in touch whilst you're doing it. Just search for Paul Weller Fan Podcast and get in touch. Some really special episodes coming up on the next episode of the podcast, an extra one this week on Friday, another episode going live with another big fan. Sam Molnar will be talking about his incredible work with Paul Weller and Woking Hospice. We're talking Wake Up Woking in 2010. We're talking the Wildwood Garden in 2022 and more. A friendship of over 50 years now. The next episode, paulwellerfanpodcast.com, this coming Friday. An extra episode for you on the 20th of October. And then next week, you're going to hear Carlene Anderson, an epic, epic chat on the podcast. Make sure you follow, you subscribe wherever you get yours, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and more. And keep spreading the word. Keep telling your friends. Hey, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.